going on everybody welcome to episode 252 of the dfs dose podcast your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis i'm your host ben hover joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show we are going to talk about our results from week four in the nfl from a dfs perspective we will also hit on some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week joey how are you doing this fine Monday morning doing well I'm doing well I mean had a okay week lost a little bit uh just because I am playing more tournaments and cash games in 2022 uh but my cash team performed really well finished with 162 points best cash week of the season for myself um kind of a disappointing tournament week but nonetheless still happy with the process and we were on a lot of the plays that worked out so you know it is what it is yeah you know you you dm'd me that last night as well that you know you know fuck the results the process was good i've got to say that personally i feel like i played a bit like an amateur yesterday and i've been reflecting on that since last night and i guess what i mean is that i feel like i had a really solid read on this slate coming into sunday morning and i just let myself get weighed down by noise i i was second guessing myself a lot with the weather concerns which i don't know not not something i think that i should be doing you know entering year six of playing dfs seriously i i don't know why i was struggling mentally with it yesterday morning and and just overthinking plays and getting myself into a bad situation but to be honest it was neither here nor there from a results process because you know in a week where the chalkiest tight end on the slate is 4100 over 20 percent owned and you know drops a 40 bomb that's just not a week i'm gonna win because i'm never gonna be playing a player like that so yeah you know there was no way that i was going to win in this week, but you know, just separating the results from the process, I, I feel like I had such a solid read going into it and just sort of fumbled the bag a little bit process wise at the end. So that's something that I'm going to be looking to improve upon in future weeks for sure. And then, you know, even going a little bit further, like I, I handled the post lock a little bit amateurish as well, you know, drawing dead for most of my full main slate tournament teams just started tilt firing into afternoon only. I played showdown for the first time all year, actually had a pretty, pretty solid lineup, finished top 600 in that large $15, 100,000 person tournament on DraftKings. So made a little bit of it back, hit some bets on that Sunday night football game as well to to break just about even which was good but you know probably not a sustainable thing to just be tilt firing afternoon mm. only and then making last minute bets to try and compensate so yeah not the best process for me personally this week gonna be honest yeah I, but I think pre-slate process wise in terms of the Thursday podcast the preview and the stream and all of the content that we've put out I mean it should have definitely helped people win especially in cash games uh, pretty much outline the entire cash game build and if you ran the chalk build like you smashed yeah uh, so from a cash game perspective pretty pretty solid week from a gpp perspective it was more so just like you know we were on the right place like i mentioned eckler you mentioned damian pierce two of the running backs that you kind of needed this week i also said that rashad penny was my favorite long shot running back that was on wednesday assumed he was only going to be like around five to seven percent he ends up coming in at 15 to 20 percent which is unfortunate but nonetheless still 4900 comes in 31 points so i was all over that called that shout out to me but we both had a lot of good calls. He also called Cortland Sutton. Okay game, 16 points. He was in the uh, team that finished second in the Millie Maker. So you could have survived with 
that 16 with Sutton if you were on uh, some of the other plays and the other games. And just in terms of process-wise, I think fading those games was okay because, I mean, it was bad weather and there was just other spots on the slate that projected better. Um, you know, specifically that Lions-Seahawks game, which you ended up needing to full-on game stack to win. And all of the tournament winners, you know, played players from games that projected better than those games. So I don't think it was necessarily bad process fading like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and all of their pass catchers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, just unfortunate that, you know, a 20% on TJ Hawkinson in the Millie Maker goes for 42 points, a top seven game of all time at the tight end position because I didn't play Hawkinson either in tournaments. But either way, nonetheless, I still think the process was pretty good this week and the players that we were on did hit in a relatively big way so yeah I just had the wrong pieces to that Detroit game you know I had a lot of Reynolds and Penny mini, mini correlations but you needed uh you know Hawk Metcalf um, hey, you needed Reynolds too he was in the Millie Maker winner yeah Reynolds was and and yeah to your point like I I had a lot of the other plays that were really good like Devontae Adams I I went with him over Diggs uh, as my spend up option in more tournament teams. I had a lot of Mike Williams. He was in the perfect lineup. So the pieces were there. I just did not full on stack the Seahawks yeah. Detroit game. And that's what you needed to do to win in tournaments. The other thing that you needed to do to win in tournaments was continue to play the winning formula. And this is something that we've talked about every single week this year and just following into this trend of, you know, attacking the mid range at running back. And as we saw again in week four, it continues to be the key to these slates, even in a week, right, where Eckler goes for 35 points, where Derrick Henry goes for 26 points, where Christian McCaffrey goes for 25. We still see the mid-range running backs be featured all over the perfect lineup. Two guys, 6K or below, Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs, were in the perfect lineup. Rashad Penny, 31 points. Damian Pierce, 29 points. Jamal Williams, 27 points, which was featured in many small field tournament wins. So it's this mid-range of running back that can continues to be the key to winning slates and I just I don't know I don't want to overthink and and, and I want to again attack that again next week yeah absolutely I mean we did talk about on the podcast and I specifically mentioned that the top running backs would eventually have good games and I said it was going to be JT on that Wednesday podcast he obviously busted got hurt we'll talk about that later in the show but yeah Eckler CMC Henry all had good games but it doesn't matter when they're all you know 7.7 plus and you're still getting 30 balls out of 5k running backs so yeah definitely something to be cognizant of moving forward and you know with Jamal Williams at 6100 at 38% in the millimaker like you still could have faded him for Penny, Damian Pierce, and Sanders and scored more at a lower ownership discount. And even Josh Jacobs, who we kind of talked about, the ownership projection didn't seem right. And he only came in at 6% in the Millie Maker. So yeah. if I would have known Josh Jacobs was going to be 6%, I would have played more Josh Jacobs, um, projecting as one of the best values. But that's a problem you can run into with projection sometimes is they could be totally off on players. Um, you know, yeah, maybe they maybe they have some preconceived bias about a certain player for that week, and it just doesn't ever materialize. And I think that was Josh Jacobs uh, this week. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Probably would have been a lot more interested in Josh Jacobs, but when I was looking at him this week and just the the ownership projections put him so high, I, I just had no interest and kind of got off of it, didn't even consider it with some of the other pivots in that range. And really, if you got on the right two guys, you could have gotten away without playing Jacobs or Jamal, like Miles Sanders, Rashad Penny, Damian Pierce, any combo of those guys would have gotten it done, but alas, was not on it myself. Let's transition though to some of the interesting stats and storylines. We talked about how you needed to stack up that Lions Seattle game to ship something in. This Lions offense, man, illegitimately cannot be stopped. You know, no Amon Ra St. Brown, no DeAndre Swift, no problem. Because Jared Goff threw 39 times for 378 yards, four touchdowns, 37 points on DraftKings. He was the highest scoring quarterback of the week, and he is now Joey, the quarterback five overall in fantasy, above Justin Herbert, above Kyler Murray, above Joe Burrow, just like we all expected. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Jared Goff. I mean, never thought he was like horrible. Didn't think he was great. But I think if you surround him with good skill, position, talent, he he can be productive and he can uh, sustain fantasy players for sure. And I mean, that's kind of my L on the week was betting against this Lions offense. But they're first in the NFL in points for, first in the NFL in points against. So a lot of these lines games are going to turn into shootouts, but also it, it was a, a very prime matchup for Jared Goff going up against this below average Seattle Seahawks secondary. Still surprising, at least to me. I thought there was a very uh, good chance that the offense w- would just fall flat on its face, which it, it was. They were busting and then they just absolutely went nuclear in the second half. Yeah, and I mean, that's something I think that they'll continue to do throughout the course of the year. Like, to to be honest, this offense still has not hit its ceiling. You know, they don't have Jamison Williams back. He should come back probably post by week seven. And I mean, I think that there's still an untapped ceiling to this offense, which is crazy to think about, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the leading scoring offense in the league right now. So, I mean, if Jared Goff ends up finishing as a top five quarterback, I don't think I would be surprised just because of, you know, the situational football that they're going to find themselves in all year with the state of this defense and the talent on offense so interesting Jared Goff has a lot of potential I think to be you know a late round winner for best ball and will be in DFS consideration all season long talking about another quarterback I just want to put this out here right now I think it's a good time man I am out on the Broncos and why I want to say this now is because Russell Wilson is at you know he actually had a good game It was his first usable game as a fantasy quarterback this season. He went 17 for 237-2, added a touchdown on the ground with 29 rushing yards. But I don't know your opinion. I don't know how much of this game you watch. But even despite the good fantasy game from Russell Wilson, this man just looks washed. I don't I don't know what it is. He he doesn't look confident. He looks slow as dirt. All of that early career Russell Wilson mobility, you know, moving around the pocket, making yards, getting first downs on on the ground. It's just it looks like a complete struggle for him. All of his decision making seems to be like just body language wise, you can see him processing things in real time and it's just I don't know, man. I I think that this Russell Wilson in Denver experience is grim and I I don't know how much better it's going to get from here on out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. They have not looked good uh russell wilson is also like 10 years in so that's probably a reason to for his decline just in terms of like rushing and looking a little bit slower you know he's just getting older did say that this game could be the sneaky shootout and you didn't need pieces so i was on that but yeah you really just needed one-offs in this game josh jacobs adams um like i said you could have sufficed with sutton dude in second the million maker played him like i said and yeah i mean 
I, I I'm out on the Broncos too. I don't I don't think they're a good offense right now. Um, kind of just want to wait to see them turn it around. And it obviously also doesn't help that they lost Javante Williams probably at minimum for a few weeks slash months. Yeah, that does not bode well for a team struggling to get the ball into its playmakers' hands. Building on the conversation we started the podcast off in terms of mid-range running backs, we saw J.K. Dobbins pop off for the first time this season. It was his second game back, and he had two touchdowns early. And, you know, halfway through the 1 p.m. slate, it looked like you were going to need him to win on DraftKings. Obviously, that didn't end up being the case as so many other running backs ended up getting there when it was all said and done. But nonetheless, Dobbins had 17 touches in this game, 13 attempts, caught all four of his targets. And I guess the question that I have for you is, do you think that there is room for his role to expand even further? He only played 50% of snaps in this game. Like I said, 17 touches, both of those numbers, snaps and opportunity are up from last week. And I know that traditionally we have sort of looked at this Ravens backfield in the Lamar Jackson era as one that is difficult to trust. But do you think that Dobbins can cut a legitimate and consistent role out for himself? Or was this just sort of like a small sample one week bit of variance no I definitely think he's talented enough to cut out a role and we have been you know Dobbins haters pretty much over the last few seasons um but if he does have this pass game role I think that he will be viable uh, for sure especially in full PPR and on DraftKings especially if his price stays 6k and below this is one of the best offenses in the NFL touchdown expectations should be relatively high Gus Edwards is still dealing with his injury which prior to the season we kind of thought that would be flip-flopped right we thought Edwards would be the one back and J.K. Dobbins coming back later in the season and they really have nobody else there that is a factor right now besides Lamar Jackson so I think Dobbins does have a nice role and I I think they do want to make it an effort to get him the ball because talent wise he is a very talented running back so don't don't mind J.K. Dobbins moving forward for sure all right let's talk about some of the rookies Damian Pierce really kind of broke out this week 14 for 131 and one rushing also caught six of six targets gets only turn that into eight yards so pretty inefficient as a pass catcher and a lot of his rushing came from one play it was a 75 yard touchdown run but nonetheless I mean Pierce is interesting because the talent definitely checks out the opportunity should be sustainable if we see this pass catching role hold which it theoretically could because we would expect the Texans to be down in a lot of games this year he seems like an interesting player that may end up panning out but the team situation is so brutal Davis Mills looks completely lost out there Yeah, I mean, Davis Mills is horrible. They were about to bench him for Brandon Allen. So that's how you know he's been playing horrible. And yeah, it's just the team can fail in any given week, uh, which would obviously hurt Pierce's upside. But as a, you know, classic zero RB player prior to the season, I mean, he's paying off in a a huge way. You know, he's on one of my teams that is 4-0 into week five in redraft. And if he has this receiving role moving forward, he's going to be a factor in DFS for sure Rex Burkhead still played more than usual because when they are losing Rex Burkhead is going to be the preferred guy but Pierce uh, getting six targets six catches is still encouraging and we obviously know moving forward he's going to be the the volume king 
in that backfield. He will. And and another running back that I think we're going to continue to see emerge and become a workload king is Brees Hall, who had 17 attempts on the ground this week, another six targets. The pass game role looking really good for Brees Hall, and he continues to earn more and more work over Michael Carter, had 51% of snaps in week three. That was up to 66% this week. We already noted the pass game usage on this week's previous podcasts. And yeah, I mean, Brees Hall looks really good. He didn't get a price increase. I think that they're going to continue to feature him more and more in this offense. Going to be 5,400 at home against a two-a-list Miami this week. We'll definitely talk about that more as we preview the week five slate. But Brees Hall, you know, he, he's a guy that we knew was going to be the real deal. I think we were skeptical just of the situation in general, but the Jets offense has been able to move the ball pretty well this season. The talent's there. The opportunity should be there. I think Brees Hall is set up really well for a good mm-hmm second half of this NFL season yeah for sure and I mean just rookies in general tend to perform better as the season goes on especially rookie running back so Brees Hall is definitely a nice uh buy candidate right now but you know who has been disappointing to start the season that you you know maybe purposefully didn't want to put on this rundown who's that Gabriel Davis hmm yeah. Do you want to take your uh, your early L, or do you want to give it more than four weeks? No, I mean, I'll give it more than four weeks, especially considering that Gabe has not been fully healthy up to this point. I know that he's been out there and he's been playing a lot. Obviously, you want to see more than three targets from him in a game, you know, in a game script that should have favored Buffalo for a decent portion of it, but... No, I'm not going to take the L on Gabe Davis. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Not yet. No, I'm not. I'm not willing to take the take the L on Gabe. I think he could still get there. If there's one thing I do trust, it's the Bills' offense to to get back right. <laughs> is it the Bills' offense that is three and one, or is it Gabe Davis getting out targeted by Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, Isaiah McKenzie, and Jameson Crowder? Hey, and hey, Dicks. Hey. Isaiah McKenzie got hurt, so we, we might, I don't know how serious it is, but maybe uh, we consolidate a little bit. And even Diggs okay. kind of struggled over the past two weeks. So, you know, if it if it were like just Gabe that wasn't doing well, I, I would have some issues. But yeah, I mean, Diggs 14 in week three, 10 this week. Like, it, it's just, I think, been the offense in general mm. more so than Gabe. And, okay. and that bears out uh, as, you know, 19 points and 23 points for the Bills over the last two weeks. Yeah. Copy, copy. Just, just had to, just had to bring them up. Thank you. And I, hey, maybe I took the L two early on Darnell Mooney, another player that I didn't put in the show rundown. Finally got a hundred yards, showed some signs of life. Shout out to Darnell Mooney. But let's continue on with some rookies. Uh, Romeo Dubs, the uh, Romeo Dubs. The big story with Dubs, Do- it, Dobbs. How it's Dobbs? Dobbs? Okay, it's All right. Dobbs. All right. Okay. 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 The big story with Dobbs, right, was his failure to keep the ball secure on what should have been an easy 41 yard touchdown. He didn't maintain control of the catch, lost it when it hit the ground, but he did tie with Lazard for a lead in targets this week after leading the team in targets. Last week, Christian Watson was back in this game. Dubs maintained his top role. So I think, you know, we're seeing real-time confirmation that Dubs is going to be the guy over Watson in Green Bay for at least right now and maybe for the duration of the season. It's been encouraging to see Dubs play well for a late-round rookie pick. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he's pretty much up to like being a full-time player 
for the Packers. He's running a route on like 95% of Aaron Rodgers dropbacks, which is encouraging to see. And it looks like the three wide receiver set as it stands right now for Green Bay is Romeo Dobbs, Alan Lazard, who also had a very good game and Randall Cobb. I think that reason for his good game was obviously the Packers played the Patriots kind of tighter last week. You know, the Patriots had a lead going into halftime, kind of forced Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball a little bit more, and the Patriots secondary is just horrible this season. So I think those were those were all factors, but nonetheless, he could be emerging as, you know, the, the Packers wide receiver one, and if he's still cheap, he's probably going to be a player that we should consider moving forward in DFS, especially if we project his price to keep on increasing as the year goes on and maybe, uh, you know, start buying now before he becomes like a, a 5,500 player. For sure. Makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, will not be on the main slate next week as Green Bay will be featured in the London game. Let's close this off with one final rookie note, Joey. We got to see a nice bit of rookie quarterback play this week. No, I am not talking about Bailey Zapp, Joe. I'm talking about Kenny Pickett, who took charge of the Steelers offense following halftime. Mitch Trubisky getting benched by about this time of the year, something I think we all saw coming. We were on this. Made it through three and a half games. That That's pretty standard for Trash Biscuit, but Pickett entered, completed 10 out of his 13 attempts for 120 yards and three interceptions. That's not great, albeit one of those interceptions was a last second Hail Mary. I think that we can excuse. Statistically, he also rushed six times for 15 yards and two touchdowns, so pretty decent introduction, I think, for Kenny Pickett coming in at halftime. The introduction of Pickett also brought George Pickens to the forefront of the offense, the talented Rookie pass catcher had 31 yards going into halftime, finished with 102, racking up four for 71 after Pickens took over at quarterback. Is it going to be Pickett to Pickens all year? I like the way that that name combination sounds. Feels like something I could be jamming into DFS lineups at some point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm definitely not ever playing Kenny Pickett in DFS. He does have some rushing upside, and he did have some rushing upside at Pitt as well, so that is encouraging obviously two rushing touchdowns on six attempts kind of kind of fluky but they use him towards the goal line I I think that he could have some upside he's probably better than Mitch right now and I mean was that not the most predictable benching of all time prior to the season how many times did we say Mitch would last like three weeks (laughs) countless times countless times (laughs) like so predictable Like he is, he is so horrible. Like, is he an NFL quarterback? Probably. Is he a starter? Absolutely not. But yeah, Kenny Pickett, okay. George Pickens, obviously very talented wide receiver, and I think he is the wide receiver too above Claypool. I think Deontay Johnson is still the guy there, even though he had kind of a down game. So yeah, I'd definitely be in on George Pickens moving forward, and I, I think he's also a nice buy candidate but you you mentioned Bailey Zapp you got to put some respect on his name for first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown this year oh yeah I mean I I was just trolling your Patriots fandom I mean Bailey Zapp at 5100 next week against the Lions I mean I mean he looked okay like that's the thing he looked okay he looked okay. He looked better than Mac Jones, bro. That's the future. I'm, I'm that's not, the, I'm that's not the even future. I'm not going to hold you. He did. I'm not even going to hold you. He did. He has more zip, more arm strength, and I don't know. He he did look better, but that's neither here nor there. It, it isn't until uh, this is like a Dak Prescott-esque situation, and we never look back. This is Tom the Zap Brady. era. Tom oh. Brady situation. Oh. 
shit. All right, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> let's close out the show. Uh, injuries of note. There were actually some substantial injuries this week. Daniel Jones with an ankle injury considered day to day. Ian Rappaport said that there's optimism that he will play in Week Five against the Packers in London. Giants are going to need him to play because Tyrod Taylor suffered a concussion during this game. Daniel Jones. I mean, the rushing has been really great for him this year so far i don't know what the takeaway is here i I would expect him to probably play in week five and be okay yeah i think daniel jones should be good to go for week five for sure um if not they they still have tyrod taylor who is a serviceable serviceable backup quarterback and yeah they they play in london against the packers the giants are three and one i i I do think we we did uh, mention the Giants team total on one of the uh, offseason bet podcasts, so that's looking pretty mint as well. Yeah, I mean, you were all over the Giants performing better than expectation. I did not buy that, but a uh, good hit for you in terms of offseason projections. The other injuries of note, a little bit more high impact. Jonathan Taylor with an ankle injury. There's some belief it's a high ankle sprain. Ian Rappaport, you know, suggested that there's maybe a chance that he plays on Thursday night. I don't think that that is going to happen personally. This seems like an injury that could hamper him for, you know, one to two weeks, maybe. We'll see how his recovery goes, but there's definitely concern because this is the type of injury that can, you know, be re-aggravated easily throughout the course of this season. So not great for Jonathan Taylor exiting week four. No, I mean, his first substantial injury of his career he's probably if I had to guess going to miss the first game of his career he's been pretty much an Ironman throughout his entire time playing football like I think from high school until now just going to be interesting to see how severe the ankle sprain is and if it is a high ankle sprain we know how that specific injury can hamper running back specifically as the year goes on so definitely a situation to monitor with JT and I don't know, this Colts offense looks pretty bad. They can't score. The whole thesis behind taking Jonathan Taylor 101 was he was going to score a bunch of touchdowns. And if he's not doing that and if he's hampered, I mean, low-key, sell Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I mean, probably missed the window with him dealing with an injury, but yeah, it's not looking great for those JT 101 teams. Do you happen to know off the top of your head who's going to step in here? Not Naheem Hines, but who their who their RB2 is other than that? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> who it is. is it? Philip Lindsay for the mm. revenge game against Denver on Thursday night. Just saying for all the showdown bros out there. Philip oh, Lindsay yeah, revenge that, game. That's a stone lock. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Final injury to note Javante Williams. This is the most severe of the injuries exiting week four. It is speculated to be a serious knee injury. Haven't heard a update on that, but serious knee injury. I mean, could be chalked for Javante. Yeah, we'll obviously have to wait and see about the reports surrounding Javante Williams. Um, we don't have that information right now, but if it is severe and he's out for the year, it's Melvin Gordon season. But I think Mike Boone should be picked up in every single fantasy league, and he's probably going to be a player that a ton of people bid on in redraft and we'll just have to see how it shakes out melvin gordon clear rb1 though there for the foreseeable future and we're getting into the portion of the year where uh zero rb is even going to become even stronger than it already has so yep no doubt in my mind that zero rb ships everything in best ball this season on the gordon mike boone situation i i just think that like yeah mike melvin gordon will definitely be the the guy there right but i i mean i kind of envision this being like a similar split 
uh, as it has yeah. been with Javante and Gordon. Like, I think yeah, that, for sure. you know, Boone, Boone will hamper Gordon a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. But just going back to what we talked about with the Broncos offense in general, losing Javante definitely uh, worsens the efficiency for this Broncos offense. And, you know, putting Mike Boone in there and Melvin Gordon as the guys, I mean, it, it low key could be a stay away situation if the Broncos offense just keeps on performing as bad as it is. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't go crazy blowing your load uh, on on Mike Boone and yeah you know, fab, but we'll see how this goes over the coming weeks. And as we get a more official diagnosis on Javante, Joey, but that is going to be it for episode 252 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with whatever is going on within the network, you can join the Inner Circle via our free Discord channel. The link to do so can be found in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.